Hello everyone and welcome once again to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends. My name is Arthur Coldwells. The new Kawasaki Z650RS is a retro-styled middleweight that uses the company's awesome mid-size 650 parallel twin motor. The 650RS with its emerald green bodywork and gold wheels is a direct homage to the original KZ650 from the 1970s. It is one of the prettiest motorcycles available today. Associate editor TJ Adams gives me her impressions of the 650RS, having ridden it for a week in South Dakota. We were there just after the famous Sturgis rally had finished, and we enjoyed the incredible local roads and stunning scenery of the Black Hills. In our second segment, Associate Editor Freeman Wood has just returned from his recent touring vacation from Germany and across the Italian Dolomite Mountains. They were riding the new six-cylinder BMW K1600 GTL. The Dolomites are arguably one of the most perfect locations in the world to try out one of the very best luxury touring motorcycles available today. Freeman chats with me about the two-up ride with his wife, the places they visited, and of course, how the bike handled the whole thing. We hope you ride safe and enjoy this episode. So as I understand it, you had an original Z650, which must have been in the, what, late 70s. And how long did you have that for, approximately? That would have been early 80s. I had it for about a year. Okay. And I really enjoyed it. I found it for that stage of my riding, it was appropriate. I was going up the ladder um, CC wise, and it was big enough that it wasn't it wasn't too intimidating, but also it was substantial enough to take pillions and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it was a real motorcycle. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I'd, I'd gone past the learning stage on the little 185 and I had a 125 as well. And, and then you progressed up eventually to the Z400J. That's right, yes. I bought and that and then you. finally moved up to the 650. Very nice. Okay. So fast forward to the modern day, to today. And we're up in South Dakota. We got to spend a week riding around the mountains from Leed in South Dakota, just outside of Deadwood, rode to Spearfish, rode around Custer National Park. You really put in a lot of seat time on the new Z650 RS. Yes, I did. And I loved it. It was great to have the opportunity to do a, a long test ride on it. And as you say, put in plenty of miles. And the roads in South Dakota are just fabulous. You yeah. know, they're well maintained, they're smooth, they're bendy, twisty, they're not sort of just long straights and there's some freeway riding and off-road riding, sort of fire tracks, not, not too major when I say off-roading, and um, just some good country roads, just wending their way through mountains and just glorious scenery, as you, as you know. Um, the first impression when I saw the Z650RS was how pretty how pretty it was and is. It was almost, I mean, so reminiscent of your of your original one. Yes. Same colour. I mean, it was really cool. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, a nice, sharp, bright emerald green and pinstriping. 
very old sort of retro style pinstriping and they've put gold wheels on which really set it off because the pinstriping is gold and some bikes when you see the gold wheels it looks a bit odd man out but it really sits well with the Z650 RS I loved it so I love the look and that's always encouraging because when you go buying motorcycles of course that's that's your first impression love, you. Yeah, love or hate you're gonna yeah. go with what it looks like however well it rides and so then you ride it and I loved it straight away because I found although I couldn't completely put my feet flat the actually the foot pegs were in the way I had to do one either side of the foot peg and then oh, that's I could. interesting yeah then I could but even on my toes or moving my feet around I felt comfortable doing that even when the bike was stationary because it sort of wasn't too top heavy that I felt it was going to tip over so I could move it around underneath me and therefore I could shift it up and down the driveway and in the in the garage without too much angst and uh, that for me makes it already an easier fun bike to ride because I know I'm not going to be thinking about it and stressing about when I pull up at the traffic lights and when I have to park and all that sort of thing. Yeah it's definitely I noticed it was you had a lot more confidence on it immediately I mean we were with a, a couple of pretty pretty good riders and a couple of fast guys and and so we were definitely tramping on a bit and I noticed I could look in my mirrors and you seemed really confident on it. I mean, you were just riding at a much, a little brisker pace than you normally do. You weren't nearly so cautious. Yes. How did you, what was the engine like for you? I mean, it's only a, a two cylinder engine instead of a four, like your original, but I found that, 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 that this twin cylinder engine was very peppy and was pretty smooth. What, what were your feelings on it? Well, I'd agree with that, I'd agree with that. Well, first of all, I liked the the noise the engine gave off. I liked the tone. It's quite a low tone, and then you get that typical Kawasaki sort of almost, I don't want to say hiss, but you feel it winding up. You can hear it winding up, right. and and it's it's a nice sound. You're not sort of shocked by anything when you, you do put the throttle on. I did keep up... Um, I don't, I don't want to say easily because I think you're right, it was inspired by confidence as well as the speed of the bike. I didn't really have to rev it hard. I felt I was going at a good pace and then I checked the revs and I'm sort of around the six or 7,000 rev mark and it redlines at 10,000 so I was not you know, pushing it at all and I could easily sort of catch up and keep with you guys when you let me. <laughs> 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 no, I think we had gaps when we were apart and then I would catch up. We never really had to wait for you for very long. I mean, it was, uh, it was great. It was very encouraging to, to watch you. I would describe you as a good intermediate rider. I would say intermediate. Good intermediate. I mean, you've, you've been riding a long time. Obviously, you had a big break um, for, for a few decades. But you've really gained a lot of experience recently. And... You're very capable. I mean, your instincts are very good. Your body positioning is very good. So it, it seems like a, a, an, a pretty ideal bike for you. Um, maybe you could have used a little more horsepower? Only to give me a feeling of confidence when, when I was in traffic on the freeway. And you know, sometimes you just have to get past something to put yourself into a safer space. 
sometimes in that situation or quite often I would say I had to drop down a gear it didn't sort of have that instant power that you get on on a from an eight or a 900 resist, perhaps yeah, yeah. Motorcycle. yeah and so I did yes I I did feel I could do with a bit more power because in free on freeways I do like to really keep up the pace I think it's safer yeah I'm sort of moving yeah. around and getting into spaces of my own when we're on roads where we're sort of enjoying twisties and bends I'm not a racer I'm not the fastest rider out there and so it was fine I didn't feel it was lacking at all it had plenty of pull I didn't find myself thinking oh you know I've missed it there because I wasn't going it was it was great it really kept up and joining freeways I didn't feel it was lacking I applied power because I think you have to join the freeway at a high speed you have to keep up with the joining with the traffic and merge you don't want to poodle on and absolutely get knocked off <laughs> you can't filter into 80 mile an hour traffic if you're only doing 50 exactly so I would apply the pressure then and I did take the revs up to sort of around the 10,000 mark to, to get going to get up quickly but it didn't strain at all. I didn't feel as though I was sort of beating the nuts out of the bike. It, it right. was happy, very happy to do that. Did you notice any kind of surge in the power band? I mean, or is it pretty linear power all the way through? No surge. I'd say it's smooth as, very yeah. smooth. Yeah, I found well, the same thing. I'll just add a caveat to that. In some of the lower gears, going sort of probably second to third gear, sometimes the power was a bit jerky, just for a moment. Right, that's probably emissions. I mean, these things all have to be Euro 5 compliant, and so they tend to run them a little lean at the various stages where the emissions come in. So uh, it's very tough to get the fueling on these bikes exactly right. So it's always a little bit of a compromise so that they can pass emissions. But I, I never felt that when I rode it. The only, my only criticism of the motor a bit was riding around town sort of slowly if you let the revs drop to 3000 or below in other words if you were in a tall gear fourth or fifth or even sixth then it would sort of chug a bit um, and it definitely it definitely didn't like being it, it, it likes to be revved a little so I'm it doesn't surprise me that you say you spent a lot of time at five and six thousand rpm that's definitely where the engine was happiest it's a very rev happy motor. It's very snappy. I mean, in neutral, if you blip the throttle, things are bam, 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 bam. I mean, yes. it's it, it's quick. It doesn't sort of chunter up to its red line. It's, it snaps there. Yeah, I'd agree. It's straight there. Yeah. For me, it, it, it's a relatively small bike. I mean, obviously, I'm more used to litre bikes and, and sort of physically bigger bikes. So, And I'm a bit of a gangly guy. So for me, it was very, it felt very did not feel large it was not a large bike it, 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 it did actually feel it felt light and well balanced quite light yes i yeah. was gonna say that yeah. that is my next um comment when i first took off it felt light and i guess i was expecting something heavier because of the old-fashioned look right <laughs> yeah but, yeah but it, it felt yeah. light the handling is really reactive isn't it yes. i mean you just you even think it and yeah. the bike wants to it's turn. It's definitely point and shoot. Yeah. But what you were saying about the, the gears and around town, I can imagine because you expect a forgiving engine because you get into high gears and stay there. Whereas I tend to be in lower gears because I like to feel a pull on the engine the whole time. And so right. 
I didn't notice that because I'm always I'm prepared. I'm already in lower gears when I'm in that sort of slow riding situation. I don't just leave it in a high gear and right. wait for things to happen. I'll yeah. change down because I'm in that sort of situation where you're expecting some slower riding. Yeah. To be honest with you, it's because I'm so used to riding litre bikes, these very powerful, you know, thousand cc Japanese bikes, that it's made me lazy. So I tend to just get it into sixth gear as quickly as I can, and you know, I, so I just sort of short shift up to sixth gear, and I'm used to, you know, in sixth gear, if I snap the throttle, I'm used to it reacting very quickly, and of course that's not good for riding smaller bikes like that. But the the Kawasaki, I was very impressed by just how easy it was to ride and although it was quick turning it didn't flop into corners I don't know if you felt that no not at all no it felt it just, pretty neutral to you did it yes it, it did as you were asking and it went where you pointed it didn't flop in at all yeah I loved it and a couple of times if you had to change line through a corner if the corner was a bit tighter than you were anticipating you were able to change lines on it easily enough? Yes, um, I am struggling with some of my cornering because I'm getting faster and so it's a constant learning curve, so to speak, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> whatever the word is for. No pun you're... intended. No pun intended, yeah. So um, I did find um, that I could make adjustments where I needed to to improve what I was practicing at the time or learning on. I really um, appreciated that I didn't have to concentrate fully on the bike. I sort of had free time in my head to try things because it felt so easy to ride for want of a better expression. User-friendly, yes. super user-friendly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it feels like that if something goes wrong, you can probably catch it and save yourself. Yes, and I hate to sort of just reel out positives, but I can't think of any negatives. The whole experience was just amazing. And the roads were good because we had those mix of freeway and, and right. curvy roads and tight twisty roads in Custer, Custer National Park. So it was good for me to try all those situations and not have to be concentrating completely on looking at clocks even and all those little things that can distract you for a moment here and there. I mean, you're not actually trying what you want to try to improve your riding. Sure. Um, I mean, talking about the clocks and the display, you have two analog sort of old-fashioned looking round clocks uh, one is your speedometer which is kilometers and miles per hour just classic and looking clocks yeah yeah great. and the other one is revs and there are a couple of warning lights on there that pop up like the abs pops up when you switch on but then in the middle i think it's clever in the middle there's a uh, digital display and that really clearly shows the gear you're in. It's got a gear indicator, how much fuel you've got left, what the temperature is, and there are some more warning lights on there, that, with oil and that sort of thing. Um, what else? I can't remember what was the... Oh, well, your odometer is on there as well. So that's all on digital. Um, because it's all in line, it was in my periphery vision, which is not always the experience. With a lot of motorcycles, you have to look down, just even slightly. Right. For me, that can be off-putting because... Sure, you want to keep your eyes on the road. Yeah, you sort of go where you look. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you found, so, so you found the clocks really easily visible. You could... I really like them. The digital with any display on sort of LCD, is that what it is? Sure. You can get some sunlight problems if you're in bright sun. But they weren't... The things you were looking at on the digital display weren't as crucial. 
Right. You know, you look at your, your fuel, fuel gauge and your temperature gauge and your gear indicator, rarely, but now and again, you know, you've got your speedometer and your revs, which really were clear as clear as day. I loved that. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, um, so what about the brakes? I mean, the brakes on it, they're not the latest and the greatest radial caliper whiz-bang stuff. Did you find the brakes pretty good? I, mean, I thought they were perfectly adequate to use them gently. You know, I didn't grab them. So. Yeah, we didn't have any real sort of emergency stops, did no, we? No, thank goodness. But the brakes had lots of feel to me, which to me is, is almost more important than power. You need to be able to feel exactly what the brakes are doing. So if you have to brake fairly hard for something, you're trying to shed a bit of speed coming up to a corner, you can intuitively tell how you're braking. Yeah, especially if you, how want, you felt? especially if you want to do something quickly if you're braking, because we, we had a road when we were leaving, I don't remember leaving the Mountain View uh, venue we stayed at, there, were, there was that short road full of potholes and things. And when, you, when yeah. you first went down there and I didn't know where they were, and they were pretty big, yeah. You have to brake and suddenly you're trying to go around and you're not stopping, but you're braking and, and maneuvering at the same time. And that was fine. I felt fully in control. So right. terrific. And there was that switch back, which, okay, we'd seen it on the way up, but it's easier going uphill. And when we went downhill the first time, I had to really make sure I was, I braked down to the right speed, but it felt really good and positive. Right. Excellent. Now the gearbox was Excellent, typical Kawasaki. Yeah. I bet there was one thing that you didn't realize it had, but you really used. And it has a neutral finder. In other words, you can come to a stop at the traffic lights and you can be in first gear. And if you just click the lever up, it will automatically find neutral. It won't go into second. There are so many bikes where you're sort of clicking up and down and you can never quite get it into yes. neutral and it's yeah I, did. I know you didn't know that it had that on there i didn't know that was a thing <laughs> but yes it found neutral really easily yeah i have been in the situation where i've gone from first to second and first and then eventually i get it into neutral and the lights change and like oh no and you <laughs> slap it into first and stall it <laughs> so that can be a bad experience but on, on this Kawasaki, uh, yeah, the Z650 RS, it was fantastic, yeah. I didn't yeah. find that at all. I, I just slipped into neutral easily from either second or first. Then you have more time when you're sitting at the lights, you sort of done it all, it's all over. You can sit there and right. contemplate your navel and then off you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The other thing it has is what they call a slipper and assist clutch. You don't need to worry about the slipper. That basically avoids locking the rear wheel when you, if you downshift too often and you're a better rider than that so it really isn't an issue for you but the assist clutch basically uses a little bit of engine pressure to help disengage the clutch giving you a nice light feel at the lever i'm assuming that you had no sort of hand aches or dislike that I and mean, it just really wasn't even a factor for you was it no it was lovely it was very um friendly to the, the hands and i do get aches these days but I didn't struggle with that at all that was very easy to use how would you sum up the bike for you as an intermediate rider perfect perfect um, yes really yeah wow it's not just a pretty face because well because of everything we've spoken about and couple that with the seat was so freaking comfortable I don't even know how to describe it I didn't even know it was there right, I yeah. tried to take note of my riding positions so that I could describe it and you're sitting fairly upright slightly tipped slightly forward but not radical at all so my feet were a little bit back 
and I was leaning slightly, but not that sort of stress on your wrist leaning, just tipped slightly forward. Right. And then I noticed that I could feel the tank between my knees, but it wasn't interrupting. It's not like you sit on and the tanks there, which I've had with other bikes, like the Royal Enfield. I was really conscious. We, we rode that Interceptor in Australia, and I was really conscious of that quite hard feeling between my knees. So I could feel that the tank was there, but it wasn't intrusive. And yet the seat couldn't feel it at all. It was just the right width. It does narrow down slightly so that when you put your legs down, you've got enough right. movement room. And you're five foot six? Yes, and shrinking. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> but yeah, so you've got a decent inseam, but it, you were able to flat foot on the bike. Yes, I had to stagger my feet to flat foot because the pegs are right between Exactly the feet. where you want to put them down. Yes, but it didn't seem to matter to me, even though it was on my toes. It wasn't on my tippy toes, but balls of my toes. Right. It felt okay because the bike didn't have that top heavy feeling some of them have. And right. So I, I felt really comfortable um, moving it around in low speeds. But the seat is very comfortable and also width and the, the look of it. I didn't use the pillion seat, but it looked as though the pillion would probably have just as happy a time. Yeah. And so I think it's a very usable bike. I would use it if I was in the situation where I had to commute to work. I think it's got enough zing to get you out of trouble and you've got the comfort. And it's the sort of bike that you don't have to fully commit to in race leathers. You can, you know, put on your leather jacket and your leather or your protective jeans and ankle boots and just sort of ride and go out and socialise and not feel as though you're sort of yeah MotoGP. yeah i have to say from an expert point of view even though it is you know smaller and lighter and a lot less horsepower than i'm used to i didn't feel the bike was lacking you've got to rev it a bit to get some power out of it if you want to get the performance it's there i was really impressed with it i guess the million dollar question is is this a really a beginner bike i think a beginner would not be intimidated by it right right and so I would say beginner and intermediate. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it varies hugely from mm, person to person. That's the thing. If somebody is, if it's a very petite lady, it might be a little too much, just simply because you don't want to be, when you very first start out, you don't want to be having to be one footing on the ground when you stop and that kind of thing. But if it's a, a guy or a gal who's a little taller, got a, got a, a longer inseam, and you can flat foot on the ground or very, or close to it like you, then yes, I would say it's light enough and well balanced that it could be definitely considered a, a beginner bike that would keep you happy for years because it's it's a good intermediate bike and potentially even if you get up to sort of expert level, you still have a lot of fun on it. Yeah, I, I still I have that in my it. garage. Yeah, I was really the, impressed with it. Yeah, just for sort of runarounds and yeah. going to a cafe for a coffee or picking up your mates. I think it was one great. mate, <laughs> picking up a mate and going for a cup of coffee. It's yeah. just easy, easy living. The one last thing, it's a sipper. We were living in days of, you know, $7 gas. Yeah. You know, $7 a gallon a, gas. We kept stopping to fill up and it didn't need anything. Yeah, and we'd look in the thing and we'd be like, blimey, the, the levels are still at the neck. Yeah, incredible, I think that's... And we'd sort of squeeze half a gallon in it. Yes, <laughs> we're yeah. like, wow. It's been the, the easiest or cheapest bike to run in that respect with the gas. That was amazing. Barely used anything. I don't know how it did that. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I was really... going to say back, sorry to wind back to the beginner thing. It depends on what each beginner is feeling. And some people who um, pass their tests and want to get riding want to look good in their own eyes. You know, there's yeah. nothing wrong with smaller yeah. bikes, but they want to be on a bigger bike and they want that sort of look. And I think they'd be really happy on this sort of motorcycle. If you are the sort of person who, as a beginner, finds you need the confidence of having a really low bike and you know you really are struggling then yeah i guess it's quite a big cc bike and i would say get yourself onto a honda rebel or something like that right really for low. Sure. yeah but it's interesting because it has it has enough substance it, it is a real motorcycle oh yeah enough substance to feel it is most definitely a real motorcycle yeah people that don't know anything about motorcycles don't look at it and think oh it's you know it's just a a sort of an entry level it's not it's very no, it's, it's very much a mid-size good quality motorcycle it looks good built well and works flipping flawlessly yes as a group we had a lot of big bikes there like ktm 1290 and do yeah panigale street fighter and the rocket yeah the rocket three <laughs> Triumph rocket three yeah. and people looking at us as a group yeah. Just walked around and looked at all the bikes. There, there was yeah. The Z650 never came off as a as a poor relation at all. Not at all. Not and at all. lots of comments, which I like. You know, it's a very very <laughs> good looking bike. It the is. colours are, are just stunning. Yeah, it's a home run for Kawasaki. I would say. Yes, it looks I would nice. say so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd be happy to own one. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. In this second segment, associate editor Freeman Wood has just returned from his recent touring vacation from Germany and across the Italian Dolomite Mountains. They were riding the new six-cylinder BMW K1600 GTL. The Dolomites are arguably one of the most perfect locations in the world to try out one of the very best luxury touring motorcycles available today. Freeman chats with me about the two-up ride with his wife the places they visited, and of course, how the bike handled the whole thing. So a good friend of mine who I've done some riding with, he was finishing up a, a family trip uh, in Europe and his, his end point was Munich. And he called me up, said, would you like to do, extend my trip a little bit and do a little motorcycling, maybe two up, you know, he has his wife and I could bring my wife over. And I thought that was just such a, a great idea. I hadn't been in Europe in a number of years because of the pandemic. And uh, my mom's German and grew up in Germany. And so I've spent a fair amount of time visiting Germany and Munich specifically. So when he suggested we start in Munich and maybe go down to the Alps, I thought that was just a fantastic idea. Yeah, it's that's got to be that would be tough to say no to that, I would think. So how, how long was the how long was the trip in total? For myself and my wife, it was let's see, 12 days, I think, total. My daughters joined us for a few days in, in Ljubljana. My buddy and his wife were only for the first part um, from Munich down to Como. Had another couple join us for, for three days in Como, and then we kind of split off after that. So a total of, I think, 12 days total travel, which was, which was great. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I've actually I've done a little bit of touring myself through the through the Dolomites, which obviously is the Italian Alps, and through the Alps Alps themselves, really memorable 
you know, absolutely jaw-dropping scenery and, and incredible roads. What, what struck me is, and I've been there many times, but still on a motorcycle, you have such a bigger perspective when you're when you're coming through it, is how, how vivid and how uh, sharp the mountains are. I mean, they're right there. You come into it, it's not something you kind of ease into. They're just, the Alps are right there. And the mountain roads are just fantastic. They're in great shape. The towns are cute. It's just... It's just an amazing, amazing scenery that you can't find anywhere else in the world, I don't think. Yeah, it's also um, surprisingly green. I mean, it's rugged, but but it's not a big desert. This is sort of green, lush, you know, pastures. It's sort of straight out of, you know, the sound of music or, you know, Heidi. Absolutely. The you know, Living in California, we have plenty of mountains to ride through, but they're all pretty dry and arid and and you don't have that that pastoral scene of the, some big valley with all these cows grazing in beautiful meadows and there's greenery everywhere. It's it's definitely a different experience. Yeah, and you know, sort of uh, you know, young girls with pigtails and red ribbons sort of skipping down through the meadows. It's absolutely I'm like, oh my god, this stuff is like you know, picture book. <laughs> it's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, how did you choose the bike that, that you went on? It's a great question. So, though, well, actually, BMW uh, was launching uh, the new K1600. So I knew they were interested in getting the bike out and getting in the hands of the press. So I was hoping that they could have a they would have a press bike for me, which they ended up having in Munich, which was which was very convenient. I needed a bike that was big enough to carry myself and my wife and all of our gear comfortably, smooth on the autobahn, but also enjoyable through the twisties and, and fun through the mountains. And that's, there's not a lot of motorcycles that could fit all those, all those categories, but the top of the line BMW with, with all the stuff that it has was sort of the perfect candidate for it. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. How experienced is your wife on riding on the back? Has she done a lot of riding on the back or is she a bit of a newbie to that? Also a good question. We've done some short uh, touring overnights to different places. But nothing where we were required to take more than a couple of days of, of stuff uh, packed on a motorcycle. So we had to make some very difficult choices about clothing, <laughs> what we were going <laughs> to bring along, and and she was game for it, which was which was very nice of her. The uh, packing twelve days of of clothing and and everything you want for different climates onto a motorcycle isn't easy. And uh, luckily, the the BMW has very large panniers and comes with a big trunk in the back, which uh, afforded a lot of space. I think if it was my motorcycle, I probably would have put a, a rack on the back of that trunk so you could tie a duffel bag to it for a little more space. But generally it worked out pretty well. Uh, the other thing was, how do you sit on a motorcycle for that long? And I was a little worried uh, because I've done a lot of touring obviously, but she had not. And I was a little worried that uh, the comfort level wasn't gonna be so good for her for that long a period of time. but. Again, the BMW was such a, a comfortable perch for her and the perspective that she got going through Europe, as you know, on a motorcycle is very different than a car or a train or anything else. So she really enjoyed that aspect of it. The, the only negative was it was pretty hot in Italy and Slovenia. There was a big heat wave going on. So some of the days we had to stop a lot for water to kind of cool down. But other than that, it was fantastic. So this was the sort of the latest version of the K1600 GTL. That's, that's right. Top of the line, loaded with just about everything you wanted. The, it was 
one of the things that was, was I knew about it that I was excited to try out on a long distance tour was that engine. It's got a, you know, the inline six engine is just big and powerful, but also very smooth. And sure enough, it was all those things. Um, never felt like I was lacking any power, no matter how heavy the bike was loaded down. Very smooth, easy for the passenger. Um, plenty, of, plenty of go when you needed it. So just a, a really nice engine for that trip. Some of the criticisms I, I've heard and experienced myself of that bike is the rider seat is so low compared to the passenger seat. It's really sculpted for the rider. So the rider is very comfortable because you've got this sort of big bump stop behind, behind you. But it means that the passenger, certainly on the ones I've ridden, the passenger is perched very high above the rider almost. Um, did, was that sort of an issue for you or, or, or did you feel any of that? It's a great question. And that was probably one of the issues that I personally had more of a uh, problem with the bike because it was not so much for my wife. She actually really enjoyed being up high, gave her, gave her much better view of, of where we were going. On the Autobahn at higher speeds, a little bit of wind buffing, but but still, she really, I mean, she really enjoyed that higher perch in the back and, and perspective. But that low sculpted seat for my frame, I'm I'm six foot uh, tall. Uh, it was tough. It was not super comfortable. Uh, my legs were kind of up and, and cramped, um, and I just didn't really didn't appreciate the the, the seating. We ended up finding a, a sort of little pad for me to sit on to raise me up a little bit. So if it were if it were my motorcycle, I would have opted for the uh, the higher seat option. Unfortunately, the bike, unlike most of the BMW line, doesn't have adjustability in the seat. You can't just take the seat off and adjust it higher. You actually have to have buy a, a, a different seat or get the different seat for it, which was a bit of a disadvantage. So I found that for controlling the bike, having my feet on the ground, flat footing, being low, that was very nice and easy. But on the road, it was just a little too cramped for me. So I would definitely would have opted for the for the higher seat. That's so funny that you say that. That's literally exactly my experience. Um, and I solved it exactly the same as you did. I had stopped off, I think it maybe it was at Walmart or somewhere, and I bought one of these kind of gel cushions. And I basically sat on a cushion that gave me probably an extra couple of inches height because the other problem with the low seat was that I found I had no option other than to look through the windshield all the time. Right. And a lot of times I like to have the option where I can drop the windshield below my eye line and look over it, um, where you're not looking through this sort of this perspex screen all the time, which I like sometimes if you're cruising on the freeway or whatever. But if you're riding twisty roads and what have you, I much prefer just straight eyesight and you don't get any distortion at the, the curvature of the screen. So it's easier to pick your line through corners and, and that kind of thing. Completely agree with you that I'm the same way. I love to be able to look over it when I want to most of the time. And particularly when it's hot, you want to get, you know, you want to get out and get that flow through your helmet and uh, sitting low, you couldn't get it. So I did the same thing. I bought a, uh, a little pad uh, in uh, St. Moritz that just raised me up a couple inches and worked okay, so it was nice. If that was St. Moritz where you bought it, probably the world's most expensive seating pad, I, was, I would think. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think it probably cost half the cost of the bike itself, I think. But... <laughs> precisely correct. <laughs> but I was fortunate I got mine from Walmart. Yeah, you, you got a better deal than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, but really, I mean, 
sort of once once I got into that seating position, it made it a you know the bike was really very good. The the other thing I found was you know with the with the fueling in the very low gears. I mean, say first and maybe second. When you're taking first and second gear gear corners, um, coming back onto the throttle, the pickup it could be a little a little jerky sometimes. There's a clunk. There's there's definitely a clunk in there, and I tried to figure out if it was fueling or if it was the driveline lash, but definitely there was a little on-off clunk at, at lower speeds. All right, so it wasn't me then. Okay, that's that's interesting. I'm, um, that comes as a little bit of a, a relief. I mean, I found on super slow, twisty roads. Actually, I was on Big Sur, and you know what some of those roads are like. Some of those, sure. And I actually ended up riding in rain mode which really smoothed out a lot of that really low down stuff. But I, I don't want to make it sound as though I'm really criticizing the bike because actually, conversely, I absolutely loved it. I mean, you know, the fueling is actually very smooth. Yeah, I, I, I have the same, same impression. The, the power delivery was really wonderful, particularly, you know, I was very cognizant of the experience for my wife and trying to keep it smooth for her and, you know, the uh, being able to accelerate without the torquiness or the jerkiness was was really was really nice. And I, I ended up doing some particular, you know, some of the slower speeds, I'd ride the clutch just a little bit to smooth it out. But that was a, a very minor criticism. The, the I was very pleased with all aspects of the engine and, and how it delivered power for for us riding. Yeah, it's really it's really noticeable. I mean, to me, an inline six isn't what would necessarily strike me as being this super torquey motor to me an inline six has got to be this high revving you know big peak horsepower kind of crazy motor but actually it's not the k1600 motor is really produces this amazing torque it's really very good i mean um more than enough for those big mountain mountain passes i would say it was very, it's very linear. I described it as feeling a little bit like a locomotive. You started that acceleration and it just came on strong and unfazed by anything. So it was, you know, my, my friends had uh, rented to our 1250 uh, RTs and they, they had loved the bikes and had a great time, but it was a much torquier motor, uh, that, that boxer engine. And I think that's that makes the experience for the for the passenger a little bit more jerky than that really smooth inline six. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So presumably you both really liked the bike. It sounds like you really liked it. I mean, the handling on the on this K1600 is exceptional. It is. I would say that in most conditions it was where we got into slower speed maneuvers, some of the we did, uh, as you know, we, we went through the Stelvio Pass, which is an amazing experience, but boy, that is some tight turns. And the the turns were more than 180 degrees. So you're just cranking this big, heavy bike through these turns and at 800 pounds wet without even a passenger or, uh, or all the stuff on it, that's, you know, that's a lot of bike to be maneuvering through those turns. So I would say that other than those environments, it's, it's very maneuverable, it feels terrific, but in that really tight environment it was a little a little more difficult to, to manage sure i mean just the just the sheer weight, sheer weight of, 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 what, of what we're trying to do i think you know you know a motorcycle can't be all things to all people exactly. in all situations exactly. i mean but there's always going to be an element of compromise if you want 
you know, luxury, luxury riding and be able to take a whole ton of luggage with you, then, hey, it's going to act a little weird when you go through really slow corners. That's exactly right. But, and that was my, my impression as well, is that for everything I wanted it to do, it did it fantastically. And when I asked it to yeah. do things that it just naturally is not going to do it so well, you know, it's, you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, you just kind of work work with it, but uh, but when some of those some of those roads through the Stelvio Pass are just absolutely spectacular, fast corners and and just just getting into a rhythm of just flicking the bike from left to right and left to right, just absolutely exceptional riding. And and uh, the BMW handles extremely well for that. I mean, that suspension is great. It's, uh, I am continually impressed with that, uh, that uh, dynamic suspension. It just, you set it and forget it. It's super smooth when you want it. It firms up when you need it. It, it delivers everything that you want. It's, it's a very impressive suspension. So obviously you went through the Stelvio Pass. So where did you actually start? We started in Munich and we spent a few days there. Okay. And then drove down to St. Moritz for a couple of days, which was uh, my first time there, and I really enjoyed it. It was it was a beautiful place to to stop and and explore. Uh, from there, we went down to to Lake Como, stayed in um, in Bellagio, and we were there for three days with some friends and had a, had a wonderful time there. From there, we did the Stelvio Pass, and then down to Bassano del Grappa, which is a small town at the foot of the Alps in Italy. And then from there to Slovenia, uh, Ljubljana, where I met uh, my daughters. And then from there back up to Munich to, to wrap it up. It's absolutely jaw-dropping. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that if there is a heaven, it's going to look like Lake Como and that sort of region. It's beautiful. Um, I, I've ridden through there so many times and it's just absolutely jaw-dropping. You go through these little towns and in the morning you can smell the, the sort of the baking bread, as you as you wend your way through these little historic towns, it's like, oh my god! That that's one of the things that touring on a motorcycle. If if, if people haven't done it, who are listening, thing that that is the most incredible piece. Of, you are in the environment. You smell the bread. You 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 feel the environment. You're hot, cold. The the, the it's really a wonderful to see see that type of country because you are immersed in it rather than sort of riding through it. That, that is actually exactly the way you're immersed in it. I mean, it's just a, a visceral reaction that, that you get from just being, you really feel part of the environment, not just a visitor to it. Exactly. And that's what's so exceptional about motorcycles. And, and it's funny, even in a convertible car, and I've owned my own, I've owned convertible cars, and as great as they are, it's still, you somehow you don't get the same experience. You don't smell the same smells and feel the same feelings it's interesting yeah i totally agree and i'm not sure why that is because you'd think it'd be the same but it isn't maybe because the wind isn't hitting in the same way maybe because i don't know but it's it is it is very different on the motorcycle that's for sure yeah was there a, a standout town that you went to i mean samaritz i've never been to samaritz but samaritz is a ski resort i think isn't it in the winter it is it is and i had never been there before i'd been to switzerland and austria and different places but it was one of the standouts, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful town, very small, wonderful food, very friendly people, incredible mountains all around and water. There's a, a wonderful funicular and, and gondola system to get you to the top in the summer. You can hike up there and do whatever you want. So I would definitely go back. That was, that was one that I really enjoyed. 
The environment in Slovenia, uh, in, in uh, Ljubljana, and the wine region, also a standout. Just beautiful, really friendly, uh, easy to travel in, great food, great wine, and not very crowded. Parts of Munich, for example, were pretty crowded this summer, but Ljubljana, it was, it was, there are people there, but not, it never felt crowded or, or overrun and, and very, uh, very fun environment, very wonderful place to visit. Yeah, lovely. It sounds as though, I mean, clearly you weren't doing any sort of camping or anything. You were clearly staying in, in hotels and obviously some fairly nice hotels. So that, that you, did you sort of plan that out ahead? Did, did you plan it or was it very much just a kind of an ad hoc sort of thing? And well, we'll see how far we get and, and then find somewhere to stay. Yeah, asking my wife to pack into a motorcycle for two weeks and then make her camp, that was just not going to fly. So we, <laughs> we were going to stay in some nice hotels to, you know, compensate her for the, the, the challenge of being on the motorcycle. So we, we definitely planned it out. The summer in Europe can be a little dicey to getting places, so we wanted to make sure we had hotels. So we, we picked all the hotels along the way, except for Bassano del Grappo, because that, that we weren't sure coming off of the Stelvio where we were going to end up. So that was kind of a random pick and turned out to be a great little town that I had never been to and never would have stopped it other than it was on the way. And I would recommend it as well. Wow. So how, how many miles were you doing approximately a day? Yeah, it was probably 250 to 350 miles uh, a day when we rode. Not too far. It was never, never really hard uh, riding. But the heat made it more and more challenging and took more time. So we, on the real hot days, you couldn't go more than an hour without having to stop for some water and, and cool down a little bit. Sure. I, actually, I find that kind of anyway, no matter what the conditions are, it's always nice to just stop and stretch your legs. And it's tempting to just sort of just stop at the fuel stations. And many years ago, I realized that all the pictures of all of my travels were essentially of fuel stations. Right. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I've seen these amazing countries and these amazing sites, and all I've got is pictures of flipping fuel stations. So, <laughs> so maybe I need to kind of change that a little bit. Very true. And I have the same experience because you know I'm always about you know trying to get the journey, go through the journey and get it done and see everything on the motorcycle. So I tend to not stop in towns, I stop at the fuel stations for the same reasons. <laughs> And I have the same reaction, which is, God, why am I doing that? So we, we tried to stop in towns a little bit more, you know, have a little beer at a little beer garden or a little coffee at some little shop rather than the bad coffee at the, you know, Audubon, Audubon uh, gas station. So that was, that's definitely something we experienced. Although the gas stations in Europe are certainly better than in the United States. So they're, they're still not a bad experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's very true. Some of them are, some of them are okay, definitely. But that's that's good. So it wasn't really sort of onerous riding. You were maybe spending two or three hours in the morning and then you'd stop for lunch and then a couple of hours in the afternoon or what have you. Exactly. That, that was the objective. Yeah. yeah. What sort of time were, were you arriving in the afternoons? I mean, presumably you weren't getting to the hotel at six o'clock at night. No, we, we usually got in around three, four o'clock. So time to check in, but also enough time to unpack and kind of unwind from the ride and then find a place for uh, some dinner or a drink or something like that. Yeah, that's just perfect. That's the perfect way to do it. I love it. One of the areas that I went to, one of the towns that really stood out, I think was uh, Cortina. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you probably went through that. There was a beautiful sort of Alpine hotel there that I stayed in. Just gorgeous. I mean, just 
jaw dropping. I love these places. The Dolomites are amazing. They're really uh, uh, un, un, not undiscovered, but certainly less discovered than Austria and, and Switzerland. They are they. It's a really beautiful place because you got all the beauty of the, of the Alps, but you got also great Italian food and Italian wine. What's not to like? Yeah. So in in terms of planning the trip, did you have to take out sort of special insurance or any you know licensing requirements i mean do, did you have to get an international driver's permit i i got the international driver's license just to be safe i went to AAA. it was very easy to get bmw had asked to make sure i had proper licensing and i didn't know what that meant so i figured i'd get the international license that's that's pretty good and that was very easy there was no additional insurance to get but one of the things that I didn't realize until I gotten over there is that certain countries like uh, Austria, uh, parts of Italy, and I think Slovenia as well, uh, when you're on the Autobahn, it requires you to get a, a, a toll, like a vignette uh, that has to be on your motorcycle or you have to do it online to go through it and, and pay the tolls and all that stuff. And, and it's very easy to get, very easy to do online, or you can get it at the first gas station you arrive at and, and on the Autobahn and when you enter a country, but something I had not realized. So that was the only sort of tricky part is making sure I had that for each country. So that's like a, like a sort of like an easy pass or one of those things. So it just pays the toll as you go through. So what you had to, you like lodge your credit card with it or something? You know, it's more you pay a fee and it, it gives you access to the Autobahn. So it was you know, 13 euros or something, not too expensive, but that gives you a pass to go through all of these things without having it. There's, there was, in addition to that, certain tolls on uh, for certain tunnels and parts of Austria, for example, where you had to actually pay an additional toll for that. But this is just a pass to ride the, the Autobahn. And it's only for the Autobahn. It's not for the other highways, but any of the major ones, you have to have it. Oh, interesting. Okay. How was things like the speed limits? I mean, again, in America, we're not used to having speed cameras and that kind of stuff. A few years ago, I was, um, I rented a car in Italy and I was uh, driving down from Milan to Portofino and I had one of their little, you know, in-car, you know, Garmin style GPSs. This thing kept beeping and going off every couple of minutes. I'm thinking, what the heck's that doing? And I finally realized, oh, wait a minute, it's warning me there's a speed camera. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm blazing past, uh, you know, 100 kilometers an hour in a 70. I'm thinking, oh, God <laughs> damn it, I'm going to end up with, you know, 28 tickets. But I never heard anything more. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. Yeah, that, that's something I didn't expect either. These, these, these trap, these speed cameras, and they are everywhere. I tried to keep my speed pretty close to the speed limit. What I found though, is I was using my phone for navigation, either Google Maps or uh, Apple Maps. And because the BMW Connect app for navigation was absolutely terrible, but you can read that <laughs> in the article, it was really not so good. But So I ended up using my phone for the navigation. And interestingly, Apple Maps had the same sort of thing. It would tell you when you were approaching a, a speed camera and it was very accurate. They they identified it. So that was, that was great. But the days when I was using Google Maps doesn't tell you that. I think I probably blew through a couple of those speed cams. So, yeah, so BMW will be getting a couple of notices in the mail. <laughs> they might they might be hunting me down pretty soon, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but once you get up into the mountains, I think that there's almost really no speed cameras. And I mean, there might be something in, in a little town, but most of the time there's really, it's not an issue. You can sort of ride pretty free, I think, aren't you? 
that was my experience as well. And, and the Autobahns, obviously parts of them, certainly in Germany and Austria have sections where there's no speed limit at all. So if you want to really go, you have that opportunity. Right. That's at the point where your wife starts punching you in the nuts and like, what the hell are you doing, dear? You know? <laughs> exactly. Although when she, on the really hot days, she didn't mind. She's like, get us there. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. It sounds like an absolutely fantastic trip. So presumably the plane tickets, did you have any issue? Luckily not for us. We had read all about that as well. Lost bags and, and misconnections and all that stuff. So we were flying to and from Los Angeles and we were able to get a direct flight to Munich, which I think reduces your risk and you're not connecting in Europe. Right. And on the way back, we connected through Canada, through Toronto, which was an absolute nightmare. Uh, not because, well, I'm not sure if it was COVID related or not, but it was delays and terrible environment or service it was just uh the the toronto airport is in bad shape right now so i would uh, avoid connecting through there if you if you can <laughs> okay all right what airline did you fly did you would you recommend them were they okay we flew lufthansa over the star alliance so booked it through united but it was lufthansa flight which was again i've flown lufthansa quite a bit in the past and always had a great experience but the experience leaving uh, in los angeles at the airport and then getting on the flight was not great. Uh, long delays, took a while to get everything checked. We were flying, we'd, we'd upgraded to, to business class because again, uh, putting my wife through motorcycling, she's, she wants a little nicer experience getting there, so that's fine. There's a price to pay. <laughs> price to pay for it, which was fine. The motorcycle was free, so I'm, I'm okay with that. But the, but the, the experience was, was not great there. The, the service on the flight was fine and, and nice, that was good. And then leaving, from Munich, the Lufthansa or Star Alliance experience was fine. We flew Air Canada on the way back through through Toronto, and that was a very nice experience. So no, no problems other than the delays that, uh, associated with the airport in Toronto. Yeah, I found myself sort of being less critical of all these things recently. And now I'm kind of kind of reached the point where I'm just grateful that these people are actually turning up to work. So uh, this is sort of exactly. So I'm kind of like, all right. I realize it's not the greatest, but hey, thank you for being here. At least I'm getting where I need to. So oh well, right, exactly. You know, such as such as modern life. Let, we can only hope that things get a bit better. But but anyway. But overall, it sounds like an awesome experience. Really great. And and it sounds as though your wife is probably going to be up for it again sometime. Yeah, that was the only downside of the of the BMW. Is that now she will not ride on anything other than a top of line luxury <laughs> cruiser, which I don't own. So it's a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a problem for me. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's uh, time to call up BMW and see if you can get a get a long-term test bike. <laughs> exactly. Freeman, you're commuting on this one. <laughs> exactly. Provided I don't owe them a million dollars in speeding tickets, uh, they might do it. <laughs> Okay, that sounds absolutely terrific. Is there anything else that that you want to add about what happened? It was just a, it was a great experience. It was if you're looking for a big luxury, high performance touring motorcycling, I think the the, the K sixteen hundred was was is a great choice. For me, I think the only downside was it was pretty heavy and, and not as exciting as maybe a, sm a smaller, more nimble bike. But it certainly made the experience fantastic for, for my wife. And that was that was the goal. Yeah. Well, terrific. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm glad you had such a great time. And I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the next trip, because it sounds like there is going to be another trip.
Absolutely. Well, thanks very much, Arthur. This is this has been great talking. All right, great talking to you. Thanks, Brendan.